few weeks ago, uh, my sister posted on social media a news article uh, about a video rental store chain uh, in Michigan that was finally closing its doors. Uh, some of us, you know, as I was putting my notes together this week, I'm thinking, oh, I, I can say just a few years ago, and then I started thinking, well, I better say probably about 20 years ago, some of us might remember those kind of places used to be everywhere. So you had Hollywood video, you had family video, blockbuster video, uh, you had movie outposts, a number of mom and pa places, I think up until actually this year or last year, there was a Mr. Movies in North Platte, uh, one of those places where you could go and rent and get uh, a video game or a movie. And, and during my time in school, and especially during the summer, I would ride my bike the near 20 miles to visit the four stores that we had in our area. And I would take my time going each to, to each and every store, trying to find a movie or a video game that I would spend my weekend playing or watching. Of course, when I learned to drive, that became a lot simpler. It was always me and a buddy. Every Friday after school, we would hit these four stores trying to find a place that had what we were looking for, uh, the newest game or the newest movie we wanted to watch, uh, and that's how we would spend our weekend. My mom would later tell me that uh, the reason she was okay with me spending all my time doing that was because it was better for me to be seeking out the newest video game than seeking out things that really could have gotten me in trouble. So she didn't mind that I spent my time doing that. This morning, we come back to our study in Second Chronicles. This is our winter-spring study. Uh, so it's been a year since we've been there. So let me remind you of the highlights. First and Second Chronicles used to be one book. The main theme or the big idea is that the Lord their God was with them. If you want to think of it this way, uh, when a sports team, a professional sports team, signs the best player in the universe, they put up billboards and they have parades because they say, finally, so-and-so is with us, and the expectation is we're going to win. And so in First and Second Chronicles, over and over, we're reminded that any time there's success, any time there's achievement, any time a person is able to have victory, it is because why? Because the Lord, their God, is with them. All right, and then last year we ended in Second Chronicles chapter 8. Now up to this point in the book, we've been mostly talking, or I shouldn't say mostly, we've been entirely talking about Solomon, and particularly talking about him building the temple. Now chapter 8 was really a summary of everything else uh, Solomon was able to achieve other than the temple. The Lord, his God, was with him. Solomon uh, served the Lord. He took action for the, on the Lord's behalf. And as a result, he accomplished a number of things. And last year, we ended our study saying uh, that the path to success, or how God's people find the path to success, is by serving the Lord like Solomon did. The path to success, or we find the path to success by serving the Lord as Solomon did. Now, this morning we come to chapter 9, and it's all about a summary of Solomon's splendor. The idea is the Lord his God was with him. Solomon sought the Lord his God, and as a result, ended up ruling over and owning a lot of stuff. He had a lot of splendor. And the application or the big idea here is simple. 
God's people find the path to success by seeking the Lord. Or seeking the Lord is how God's people will find the path to success. Now, I want to make sure I clarify the idea of seeking. When the Bible calls us to seek the Lord, it is actually giving us something to do. The Bible says we seek the Lord in prayer, like you would text somebody trying to find them or call them. We seek the Lord when we worship in song. We seek the Lord when we open our Bible and try to see what it says about our anxiety or about fatherhood. And we even, the Bible says, seek the Lord by taking care of each other. When we seek to minister to another Christian, the Bible says we can actually grow or seek the Lord in doing something. My point is simply, when I say to you, seek the Lord, I'm not giving you something mystical to do. It is an actionable thing. And so when I say seeking the Lord is how God's people find the path to success, there is something for you to do. Now, last time I told you why serving the Lord did that. This morning, I want to tell you why seeking the Lord brings you to the path of success. And I have three points for you this morning. Number one, number one, seeking the Lord is how you obtain the greatest treasure. Seeking the Lord is how you obtain the greatest treasure. Verses one through nine of chapter nine are about the visit of the queen of Sheba. Archaeological evidence shows us that Sheba was a kingdom that inhabited most of Ethiopia a little bit more. So there's two significant things said here. In verse 4, we're told she comes to see Solomon. And she sees how well his government runs. She sees how wise he is. She even sees how happy everyone is to serve in Solomon's kingdom. And the Bible says her spirit went out from her. The idea is she was disappointed. Not in Solomon and not what she saw. The idea is she must have come with an agenda. And all of this good news meant she was not able to fulfill that agenda. The likelihood is, is that Solomon had an iron grip on the trade routes from uh, to, into Sheba. She probably was coming to see if she could loosen that grip, maybe get a, an advisor to give him bad advice, or maybe even try to outsmart him in some way. But the idea is, after seeing Solomon's wisdom, seeing his servants, seeing how happy everybody was... She basically said, I give up. I'm not going to be able to do it. The second piece of information I want you to see is in verse 5 and 6. She tells Solomon, I did my homework. I had heard about you and I maybe investigated about you. But then she says, I realize now I didn't know the half of it. Solomon's accomplishments, his splendor, his wisdom was bigger and more than she had understood. And she made this great effort. So she packed, if you want to put it, she packed her bags, packed her camels, packed her stuff, took the journey all the way to see Solomon under the guise of what she had heard. And now she says, I didn't even heard the half of it. She made all of this effort to seek him out. Now, Jesus in the Gospels will make that point. He'll bring up the Queen of Sheba and the big effort she made to go see Solomon. And his point is this. He is greater than Solomon. Seeking the Lord should, be, should at least get from you an effort equal to that of the Queen of Sheba. He is the greater treasure. The Bible tells us in this life there are a great number of treasures. 
For example, children are a treasure most days. A good spouse is a treasure. Having an education is a treasure. Having a church family that loves you is a treasure. Eating good food is a treasure. Even going to or having a good paying job is a treasure. And each of those treasures take effort to obtain, right? You have to put on your clothes, warm up your car, kiss somebody goodbye. You have to light the grill, write the check, study for the test, show up for class. And rarely does anybody have to convince us to do this. We understand that healthy children are a treasure. And so we make the effort to keep our children healthy. We understand that a good marriage is a treasure. And so we make the effort to, hopefully some of you made an effort last Sunday, to have a good marriage. And nobody has to convince us of it. But the reality is that's not the case when it comes to seeking the Lord. In the Gospels, seeking Jesus or seeking the Lord is put up against seeking food or seeking a family or seeking work. And each and every time the Bible clearly lays out that this thing is a treasure, but having the Lord or having Christ is the greater treasure. Is it, church, a treasure to have a good spouse? Yes or no? Yes, but the Bible will tell you having Jesus is greater than having a good spouse. Is it a treasure to have a well-paying job, church? Yes, but the Bible would say having Jesus is a greater treasure than having a well-paying job. And I could go on and on, you get the idea, and we would affirm it again and again, and we would say, yes, that's true. But the reality is what? We have to be convinced again and again, and again, and again, and again. Every Sunday, every Wednesday, every morning, every evening, if we're really going to believe that he is the greatest treasure, we have to be reminded. And we look at the Queen of Sheba, and here she did. She packs up her animals, packs up her clothes. She brings all sort of gifts because she had heard of Solomon's glory. And she says it was worth it. And that means that Jesus, whose glory is infinitely greater and infinitely bigger, at least should receive the same effort. Seeking the Lord is how you find the greatest treasure. Number two, seeking the Lord elevates the enjoyments of life. Verses 10 through 28, there's a record of precious things that, that Solomon either was able to obtain or Solomon was able to, or was given to him. And the text outlines how he used them, the vast majority of how he used them for decorations, used uh, this cloth or that material to, to build this for the temple or for this for a palace or this for his home in Lebanon. And he decorated all sorts of things. And then we see in the text that not only that, he had the importing of exotic animals, some sort of zoo. And then we see that kings came from other places. They brought everything from flatware to weapons of war in order to kind of pay a price to see Solomon, to pick his brain about the kind of things they needed to face in their country. And this resulted in two things that we're told about. The first that we're told about in the text is this, that valuable things... Precious things became common in Jerusalem. It's the idea that uh, the multi-million dollar house, the hundred thousand dollar car, the custom designed clothes, it was just normal. 
Things that we would go, man, wouldn't it be cool to drive that? It became a kind of place where somebody would go, I got two of those. It was common. It was normal. But the second result we see in the text is that there was peace. The Bible tells us that all of the countries around Israel were subject to Solomon. And the Bible goes out of his way to mention two of their most ancient foes. Two peoples who had been at war in some form or another with Israel for hundreds of years. Philistines and Egypt. And even they were at peace with Israel. But we have to be careful. Because all we have to do is turn to Ecclesiastes. And we hear this same Solomon tell us about all of this splendor. And then tell us that he was utterly miserable. He looks at his unparalleled education in Ecclesiastes. He says, well, that was worthless. He looks at all the access he has to pleasure, and he calls all those pleasures empty. He looks at his gold-plated everything, his silverware, that it was actually made of silver, how he drinks out of the fanciest cup, and he says, what? Vanity is vanity. It's all pointless. Now, he wasn't crying about his blessings. He was crying about the fact that he had all these blessings, but not the blesser. In other words, all the joy was sucked out of having these things. All the joy was sucked out of a good education. All the joy sucked out of a romance. All the joy sucked out of stuff and achievements. It was all sucked out because Solomon had stopped seeking the Lord. Now again, Jesus brings this to our attention. In Matthew, he tells us not to to worry. He says, do not be anxious about what you eat or what you will wear. And in one of his illustrations, what does he say? He points us to the flower. And then he says, Solomon, in all of his splendor, so think of chapter 9. Solomon, in all of his splendor, never obtained the beauty of a flower. And an informed reader would look at that statement and go all the way back to 2 Chronicles 9 and said, wait a minute, this guy had so much gold, he was covering the most random stuff with it. This guy had pet apes. Who wouldn't love to have a pet ape? This guy it was, uh, it had the equivalent of every expensive car and all of the cool guns. And Jesus points away from that splendor to the wildflower and says, God made that beautiful. You're more important than that flower. And you don't need to spend up all your energy being worried about this stuff. Instead, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seeking the Lord was what going to bring back the pleasures of food, of clothes, of life. Or we can say it this way. And the text is a list of, of everything every person would ever want. And we go through the Psalms and the Proverbs and we see men and women of God. They find these things wonderful. They, they seek the Lord, and they're enjoying their food, and they're enjoying their work, and they're even enjoying their romance, and, and they're enjoying it more than their unbelieving peers. And the man who had more than any of these things than anybody else was miserable at the height of his prosperity because he was not seeking the Lord. And all of us here have experienced this. 
Maybe you can think of a time when you were so anxious over your health or so anxious over a bill or so anxious about what might happen next that you lost all the enjoyment of food. Or maybe you've gone to bed one night and you realize that your whole day was busied up by insignificant things and it stole from you opportunities to spend time with people you love. Rarely, though, if our lives are really about seeking the Lord, if He is our one desire, rarely do we see those things happen. Instead, when we seek the Lord and He becomes our first desires, when blessings come, we see a fuller enjoyment of what He has given us. Seeking the Lord increases the enjoyment of life. And then number three, Seeking the Lord will determine the summary of your life. Seeking the Lord will determine the summary of your life. Verses 29 to 31 are the summary of Solomon's life. First of all, the text tells us that Solomon did far more than what was listed here. We're told some of those things are in First and Second Kings, some of those things are in the prophets, and some of the things have just been lost. If you want to think of it this way, the Bible's telling us chapter 8 could have been longer. Chapter 9 could have been longer. You can think of it like what John says in the last chapter of the Gospel of John. He said, you know what? Jesus did so much and he's so great. I don't have enough paper or ink to tell you about it. But then we get two very factual statements. The first is that Solomon reigned 40 years. To put it in context, the idea here is that this prosperity did not just last for a season. For 40 years, there was peace. For 40 years, gold and precious stones poured into Israel. For 40 years, precious things were considered common. And for 40 years, there was peace. And while other nations would arrive to Solomon's riches, they would do it over the course of hundreds of years. Not the 40 that Solomon did it in. That prosperity was Solomon's legacy. But then we get a second statement. He died. He was buried. And someone else became king. God had been with Solomon all the way. God had shown himself exceeding abundantly above all the man could ask or think. And it leads to the question for the reader of this book. It leads to the question, would the next king seek the Lord? What about the one after that or the one after that? That question will come up again. Will this king seek the Lord? And unfortunately, we are going to see a lot of no. Or you can think of it this way. The first readers of this book were likely captives from Babylon. And so first they read First Chronicles and they see all the success that David had and how God helped him and how God was with him. And then they come to 2 Chronicles and they see all about Solomon and all of his success and how God helped him. And the question in your mind is the reader, if you've just come back from captivity, what happened? How did we end up captives in Babylon? And the answer is going to be shown them over and over. They stopped serving. They stopped seeking the Lord. And from here on out in the rest of 2 Chronicles, every king is going to be summarized by one of two statements. Either they sought after evil or they sought the Lord. 
None of them will be perfect. Even the very best ones will have some considerable failings. But it will always come down to that statement. Did that king seek the Lord? And we see this in Solomon. We see that he was an epic failure as a father. He was an epic failure as a husband. He spent years wayward from the Lord. But God blessed him. God was with him. Why? Because when, it came, when push came to shove, we are shown that Solomon sought the Lord. And God had made promises to anybody who would seek him. That is significant. Unfortunately, the last several years, Christians have had to learn about men and women who, from outward appearance, had done great and mighty things for God, only to find out that they were involved in significant moral failings. Yet, if those men and women truly belonged to Christ, sought Christ for their salvation, when they stood before God, they were still saved from his wrath. Now that feels unjust, it might seem unjust, but it's true because God is loyal to his wisdom, loyal to his promises. And he's made promises that if you seek the Lord, you will find him. And if you seek him for your salvation, he will save you. And he will keep that promise no matter how much we fail. Or we come from another direction. Most of us this morning know somebody who is not a Christian, but is in every way a great person. We know somebody who's probably a better parent than we are. We might know somebody who's a, a better spouse than we are. You probably have a co-worker who's a better worker than you are. Yet, if they do not belong to Christ, if they have not sought him for their salvation, they are still the objects of God's wrath. And that feels unjust. That seems unjust. But why? Because the promises of salvation are for those who seek the Lord. And this should be of considerable comfort to us. If we have sought salvation, then our eternal security is based on those promises. How many times have you been full of doubt? How many times have you struggled with your moral performance? How many of you have wondered, what is God's will for me? Am I doing God's will for me? It's a considerable comfort to know that our, our doubts and our moral performance and our wondering about or knowing God's will for us in our lives, none of those things have a basis in whether or not we are eternally secure. Our security comes in the promise of having sought the Lord. That's what I mean when I say the summary of your life. Of everyone here this morning, the summary of your entire life will come down to the question of whether or not you sought the Lord. So the goal this morning is to see that the path to success is found by seeking the Lord. Jesus points out that the Queen of Sheba made great effort to see Solomon in all of his glory. And Jesus, the greater treasure, is the one who deserves our effort to seek him. And if success is defined by having the treasures of life, we should seek only the greatest treasure or first seek the greatest treasure. Jesus tells us even in all of his splendor, Solomon paled in comparison to the beauty of a flower. Solomon sucked all the joy out of the blessings of God by serving something other, seeking something other than God. 
and joy and the blessings of God can be full and overflowing when we seek the Lord first. And lastly, the Bible says that we seek the Lord because whether or not we seek the Lord for our salvation in Christ will be the summary of our entire lives. It will determine the summary of our lives. It will determine the summary or determine the reality of our afterlife. Seek the king who will never die. And you will find the path to success. This time I'll ask JC and his kids if they want to go ahead and get ready for baptism this morning. Otherwise, let me pray with you and We'll move on with our service. Father, thank you for these lessons. And I pray, Lord, we would be a people who seek out the greatest treasure. I pray, Father, we would be a people who desire to seek you first and know the full joy of life. And I pray, Father, that we would be a people who seek you. For in the end, that will be the only summary of our life that matters. Did they seek the Lord? And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.